my name is Mike Smith. I work for the U.S. Navy and I'm an engineer. Hi, my name is Fernando Feliciano and I'm the postmaster of Linwood, Washington. I'm Michaela Testerman. I'm a senior at King's High School and I also work at Chick-fil-A. I work for Premier Blue Cross. I drive bus for the city of Everett. I work for Boeing. I work at the Boeing Company. Boeing? Boeing. 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 And I work at Boeing. I am a Spanish to English translator. And I have a stained glass studio in downtown Edmonds. And I also work here at the church. Good morning. Great to see you this morning. Man, wasn't a beautiful day to wake up to, the sunshine, and uh, I don't know, just kind of infused a little life, I, I, especially at our nine o'clock service. Man, those folks were ramped up this morning. You guys are doing okay, but uh, they were really, oh man. It's great to see you guys. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 37 to start with. If uh, you want to begin to turn there, moment when the ushers are going to come back and offer a Bible, you can get their attention, get one if you have it on your device, whatever. But we're going to spend most of our time there this morning. Um, wanted to just give you a heads up a couple of things. We had uh, originally planned to do a get in the game and a leader training event right after this service. Uh, we've postponed that, so if you didn't get the word of that, just please be advised of that. Won't be happening today, but we'll be talking about th uh, that in just a few weeks down the road. Uh, so just, just take a note. Um, also, I want to begin to kind of tell you about something that's coming down in a few weeks that I think could be one of the most important times in the life of North Shore. I know that, that's, that's a, you know, kind of a, a strong statement, but I really believe this. We are going to do a series starting in January called 40 Days in the Word. And, you know, why 40 days? Because that's how long it takes to develop a habit, uh, to life transformation. And when we talk about going to the Word and to learn to love the Word in ways that we never have before, to learn it uh, in ways we've never done, and to live it, to put it into action, um, what, what we're looking at and we're praying about and what we're anticipating is, is that we're going to, as a church, walk down this road, this journey together, and at the end of that, uh, we're going to see some transformation take place. There is nothing that will transform your life more than studying and then acting on the Word of God as you come to understand it. Nothing will change you more than that. And I've just realized that over the years in my teaching, I've assumed that you knew how to do that or that you were doing that. And, uh, you know, I would talk about it and say, hey, when you go to the Word or when you do this or when you have your devotional time or whatever, but we have never taught on that and helped you and guided you in the process of of allowing that to just uh, really take hold and gain some traction in our hearts and lives. We're gonna do that. Uh, here's some things that are gonna be different. We are going to, obviously we're gonna get our life groups all aligned down this way. So if you're in a life group, especially one that meets every week, then you're gonna be right on track. Uh, if you're in every other week type of group, you may wanna consider now about what it would look like for six weeks to do it every week because you're not gonna wanna miss a week of this, okay? If you can't do that because of schedules and things like that, you may want to shift gears and we're going to provide some other groups or opportunities to where you can, um, you can be a part of a group every single week. We're going to seek out those some hosts and you may be one of those. Somebody who's never been life group or, or at least your schedule wouldn't permit, but you think for six weeks you might be able to gather two or three people together 
and that you would walk through this. We're going to train you. We're going to give you all the, uh, the, the, the material in order to carry that out. One of the things going to make this study different is there's going to be a video element. There's going to be about 20, 25 minutes of video teaching before each uh, time, and we're going to have workbooks, much like we've done before, but we're going to make those available in a short time from now, and we're going to walk through it together. So these are just some things coming down. You can, you can begin to think about that. If you think you'd like to be a host or explore what that looks like, the trainings are going to happen on December the 2nd and December the 9th. They'll be connected with the services, so you won't have to make a special trip in. But, uh, but our guys out in the lobby, all of our community pastors and those from our discipleship uh, ministry, will be glad to get you lined up. And, and so you might be thinking about that. Pray about this with us. I really do think it's going to be an extraordinary time here in the life of North Shore. And that'll be right after the first of the year, okay? Looking forward to that. Today, we're going to pick up our series. We have been in a study the last uh, three weeks now. This will be our third week uh, of how we glorify God through our work. Something very, very basic, fundamental. We know God cares about our life of morality. You know, he cares about our actions and our behavior. You know, he cares about our relationships. We learned last month how much he cares about our stewardship and our finances and that part of our life. But I don't know if we've ever concentrated like we have now on God really does care about what happens Monday to Friday at your work and what you do, what you find yourself doing. And as I've said each week, this isn't just for those that, you know, are punching a clock or, you know, finding themselves 40 hours a week. These are for folks who are on the backside of that, maybe in retirement, those who are self-employed, those who have never been employed, uh, those who are looking for jobs. This really covers the basis. And we started off this series talking about the purpose of our work, found out that God himself is a worker. He created you and me in his image, therefore he has created us for some purpose, some calling, some, uh, you know, kind of a vocational direction. He knows what he's called us to do, and probably above, above all the purposes he has, it's to build his character into us through the jobs that he's given us. Now, sometimes that's through difficulty, amen? Some of us are in tough situation, and we're thinking, why am I stuck here? Why am I in this situation? Sometimes it's very much the very thing God wants to use to shape you. And speaking of that last week, we, we kind of spent time talking about the preparation that has gone into who you are. And much, I use that phrase, you know, that uh, architects use form follows function and they'll design a building based upon what you want it to do. God does just the opposite. He has formed you. He knew you when you were in, your, in the mother's womb. And he knew his purpose for each one of us before we were ever born. There's something he called us to do to carry out. And he created you in such a way to do that. So we were looking at things like your personality and your gifts, your spiritual gifts, your, your abilities and skills, even your experiences that you uniquely have that make you to the unique person that you are. He's gonna he's going use that to help you carry out that purpose. So this week, what we're gonna do is we're gonna keep building on that, and this week we're talking about the promotion of our work, all right? And uh, you know, I thought about the word, and I, I thought, you know, it's, it's interesting, as we look at the characteristics that go into an exemplary employee, somebody who not only does their job, but excels in their job to the point where they keep ascending, they keep getting promoted, if you will, and keep moving forward in their work. What, what would those characteristics look like? A friend of mine, a uh, pastor in Indianapolis area, Aaron Brockett, uh, I, he was writing on this subject, and it kind of got me stirring something that he asked. He kind of used it, and I'll apply it to our situation. What would it look like 
if, uh, if all, the, all the bosses in our area, those that are owners or supervisors or managers, those that are, that are over folks, what if they all got together for a convention and they started sharing what are the traits of their best employees? And if they started, you know, just kind of outwardly saying, well, it's, you know, they're hard workers or they come to early, or come work to early and they stay late or they're honest or they just went down this list. What if one of the top 10 things those employers in our area said, you know, there's this interesting connection. So many of my best employees, they go to this church called North Shore Christian Church. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? What, what if our testimony was such that just the fact of our identity of following Jesus Christ, that, that somehow it got their attention and, and we had that reputation of being the best employees? And what would the traits be uh, that, that would mark that? Well, that's what, that's what we kind of want to center into. And, you know, I couldn't think of a better place to go than one of the greatest promotion stories in all of the Bible. It is the story of Joseph. And if you know the story of Joseph, this is a guy who went from, from rags to riches, from prison to, uh, to the highest, almost the most powerful person in all of Egypt. And, and these characteristics are just going to follow, and you're going to see some of these things lifted out. And if we could somehow apply those to our lives or, or our manner, our character, I think you would find the word that, that most often describes him is the word favor. The favor of God was on his life. Now, you might not be comfortable with that word promotion. I know when I first mentioned to my wife Annette, she said, I don't like that. Because I guess that initially it kind of brings these thoughts of maybe an unhealthy ambition, right? You've all been probably in a situation where somebody steps on somebody to get ahead, okay? We're not talking about self-promotion, but we are talking about a principle that Jesus shared very clearly. And I wanted you to, to look at the top of your notes before we even get into Genesis. There was a passage in Matthew chapter 5, and by the way, I think this is a first, although last night was actually the first, I, uh, I've been holding out for 63 years to wearing glasses, but I'm getting tired of paraphrasing the verses as I'm looking at this blurry, <laughs> blurry uh, mass on my, my thing, and some of you are getting tired of it too. You're looking and saying, that's not what it says. <laughs> I'm guessing. <laughs> or I'm doing it out of memory at best. So I thought, you know what, it's time to finally just bite the bullet. I, um, I got my little readers here, so, ah, oh, <laughs> That's what it says. <laughs> oh, I hate it. You don't know how hard this is for me. Look at Matthew 5. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, isn't that interesting? God wants us to work in such a way to where people see that, you know? There's one thing that says, don't let your uh, right hand know what your left hand is doing. And yeah, there's a place for that humility and not to be boisterous or arrogant or proud. But he's saying there's a sense that you are, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and he's shining inside of you. And so when we talk about this thing called work or jobs or vocation or career, he wants you to shine in the place where you're at work. He, he gets glory from that, this says. When your light is shining, God gets glory from that. And that's what he's, uh, he's aspiring for. 
So I, I would say that's what we're kind of setting our sights on. Here, here's where we're going. Uh, there, there are character traits that I think we're going to see lifted out in Joseph's life that not only honor God, but I think these are the things that employers are looking for. And I know in this room today, we've got some of you that are employers, you're, you're business owners, whatever, and you are looking for good people, good quality people, and this may be some of the criteria that you're out there, but I, I tell you, most of us, we have somebody over, somebody that we're working with or for, and we want to display these as well, and that's why we're going to take a look at Joseph, okay? Let me give you a quick background, just in case you're not familiar with this story. Most of us have heard of Abraham. Abraham was the one called out from God. He had a son named Isaac, and Isaac was special. Isaac was born to him in his old age, and he was kind of the promise given to him and passed down, and Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob, you may remember, his name was changed to Israel. That's where we get the name Israel. And he had 12 boys, and number 11 was Joseph. And what we gather from the story is Joseph actually was his, his father's favorite. Uh, how do we know that? Well, it says so, but all, also his dad did something for him that he didn't do for all the other boys. He, he gave him this coat that was rather lavish. Uh, we call it the coat of many colors. And Joseph, probably to his demise, wore the coat everywhere, and especially around his brothers. And when he did that, his brothers didn't like it. I can just see him kind of strutting around, I'm my father's favorite, you know? And, and it just drove them nuts to the point where one day when they were far away from home, Joseph was with them, they, they planned to kill him. And the plan was is that they would get some of his clothes, put some blood on him, and, and tell the father that a lion had gotten him. Well, one of the brothers stopped him short of that and said, wow, there's, there's an Egyptian caravan going by. Let's just sell him to the, the Egyptians, and that's what they did. He gets hauled off to Egypt, now as a slave, and he's basically auctioned off to an Egyptian official named Potiphar. And when he gets into Potiphar's house, uh, that's when things started to happen. Good things started to happen for Potiphar, for his whole house. And that's where Joseph, now we see, starts getting promoted to greater and greater responsibility. And these characters are gonna kinda come out. Well, you may know the story, you know, he, he has such a, a successful track that his Potiphar's wife starts paying attention to Joseph, and uh, she starts trying to seduce him, and he doesn't go for it. So she cries rape, and he gets thrown in prison. Talk about injustice. I mean, it's going from bad to worse, and yet God is with him even in prison, and as this gift of his begins to unfold of being able to interpret dreams, Eventually, he has an opportunity to do that. The others watch. And then later, when Pharaoh himself has a disturbing dream, he doesn't know who can interpret it. Somebody mentions this young man, Joseph. It's stuck in prison. Calls him out. He uh, successfully tells Pharaoh what's going to happen, boldly, confidently. And it has to do with famine and, and plenty and periods of both. And when he says it all, he says, you know, Pharaoh, you need to find somebody, the smartest person you can find, so that they can manage through this, this season. And Pharaoh says, well, who's, who's better than you? And he puts him in charge of virtually the whole country. What a story. And you stop and you think, okay, he goes, like I said, from rags to riches to the most powerful person next to Pharaoh in all of Egypt. How does that happen? That's what we're going to look at. 
There are going to be six traits that I think you're going to see lifted out, and we're going to follow these chronologically. So let's pray. Let's ask the Lord's help, and then we'll dive into it, Lord. Today, Lord, we thank you for your word and that, uh, that everything that's in it is there for a purpose. Even Paul said that these things in the Old Testament are given as examples so that we can follow. So, Lord, today as we look at this wonderful, amazing story of your work uh, in Joseph's life, I pray that we will see ourselves in it and that uh, as things come clear to us that, that, are, uh, that are prompting us to pay attention maybe to some specific area, that we will do just that and that we'll put it into practice. So we commit this to you today, this time to you, and just pray your spirit will speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to uh, start off in, in uh, chapter 37, and then we're going to kind of move forward from there. As we're walking through these, if you've got your notes in your hand, the first word that comes to my mind is the word audacity. This is the first characteristic I see in Joseph's life. He, he has a dream, okay? And this seems to, to be kind of a gift that God has given. And so early on, he has this dream. The dream, in essence, is about him, um, you know, rising to a place of prominence, and his family, all of his family, his brothers, his father, everybody, basically comes in this dream and bows down before him, okay? And so as you read about this in verse 5, chapter 37, verse 5, listen to this. It says, now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Now, they already hated him because he's strutting around in this beautiful coat, right? Telling, telling them all he's his dad's favorite. But now he tells this dream that you're going to, these are his older brothers now. Ten of these brothers are older than him. You're going to bow down before me. And that didn't go over so well. Friends, was the dream true? It was. That's exactly what happened. Was it from God? Yes. But was he stupid enough to tell his brothers? Yeah, he did that too. I don't know if I would have done that. And there's some advice there for us. I mean, look, look what his, his own dad, it says, but when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? His own dad didn't, didn't go for it. And guys, I don't know if you've discovered this or not, but especially those of you who are kind of on the early parts of your vocational life, okay? You might have dreams. You might have some aspirations. You might have some things that you're shooting for, and maybe, maybe they're not what your loved ones or your parents or those around you that have been significant that necessarily saw for you, okay? And when you share that, sometimes, sometimes they, they don't go with it. And it can be, it, it can be hurtful. It can be harmful. Some of you may be stuck where you're at because those words were so penetrating, so powerful, that you never went beyond that. And so I'll, my advice to you is, be careful who you share your dreams with. All right? I would say probably identify those who can help you to get there, but, but don't give them up. I, I think God was smiling on Joseph as he had the audacity to be able to speak the things that he had laid on his heart, even though there was some pushback as a result. So just a couple of notes uh, that I would put under here is, uh, you know, when it comes to your dreams, think big. Think big. It, it, and it's not about you. It's not about how big you are or what you can do. It is about how big the God you serve is, right? And he's a big God. There's nothing impossible for him. 
And I think he loves it when we stretch out into domains that are, we, we might call God room, that only he can do it. Uh, you know, think big. Take some initiative. Take a step. Had, man, some wonderful conversations just in the past week along these themes that we've been talking about. And some of you are right on the verge of, of taking these steps of faith. Um, and it's a tough thing, I know, you know, because you want to be responsible, you want to be good stewards of what you do have, but yet maybe the, these dreams, God is, is kind of compelling and pushing. There comes a point when you need to take a, take a step forward. And then the third thing is take risks. Take a risk. Trust the Lord. You know, you sometimes can learn as much or more from your failure than you do from just playing it easy, playing it safe. And even as I say this word, I got I to gotta admit to something before you. That earlier in my life and, and as I was just beginning to step out, I could pinpoint a number of huge risks that I took in leadership and with the people that we were serving and we didn't know what was going to happen. And I just have to admit to you today that the older that I get, the more risk averse I become. Have some of you found that out? You want to play it safe. You want to be a little more secure. You're not, you're not really willing to do that. And that disturbs me. I'm just, I'm just being open. It disturbs me because I would kind of hope that maybe as I grew older and more mature and more close to the Lord that it, it would actually be just the opposite, that I'd be willing to take greater risks. I want to be like Caleb, you know, who at 85, he says, man, I want that hill. I'm going to take that hill. And he was allowed to go into the promised land. You know, he was ready to go for it. And, uh, and maybe there's a word for all of us here today. So the first word is audacity. Here's the second one. Likeability. Likeability. Now I'm going to say up front, that's not in the Bible, okay? If you go to your concordance, you're not going to find that word. Uh, the one you most likely will find is the word favor. And so as you look at that passage in chapter 39, a few ca uh, chapters over, listen to what it says. The Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. He found favor in the sight of Potiphar. He was likable. And um, there were just things about the way he did things, the, the, the stuff that was happening as a result of that. That, that made him the kind of person that Potiphar was drawn to. He was attractive, if, if you will. And I would just say under this point that we can display certain attitudes that are attractive and not repelling. Attractive attitudes that God, God you know, will place in us. I think in, in Joseph's case, um, I think humility. Now, you might not think that because maybe he came off as a little proud or arrogant around his brothers, things like that. But guys, don't you think, you know, now that he's been put down and he's been put in a lower place, there was a humility about Joseph that I think was attractive. There's a passage in Proverbs that says that God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. When I hear that, I always think of a plane, you know, that goes against a headwind to where it's working and, and it won't go as fast because there's something working against, but then there's also a tailwind. And for those that show humility, there's this tailwind, and I see that in Joseph. God's giving him a tailwind. I think he was likable. He was a likable guy. There was something that drew you uh, to him. I, 
this week has it's been interesting. We're going through a few exercises, just getting some things kind of cleaned up and prepared even for some of the stuff that's going on with transition and all that. So we dr- uh, dug out uh, my job description, and we're trying to get it prepared and tweaking that. It's a good thing to look at your job description after 15 years. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that was quite interesting. It was a little eye-opening. And, you know, my job is really simple. In fact, I, a lot of times in our uh, get in the game, I'll say my job is two words, lead and feed. Lead and feed. And I looked right at the top of this. It was my, my job is to preach the word of God, teach the word of God, and, and to try to, you know, lead the congregation. And wouldn't you agree, if that's my job, okay, that's what I'm supposed to do, that that kind of depends on being a likable guy. I mean, just think about this. If you didn't like me, now don't, you don't need to raise your hands or anything like that, all right? I'm not looking for that. But if you didn't like me, it'd be really hard to listen to me sharing and talking. It's based upon the likability. Consequently, if you, if you didn't, then you wouldn't probably be here. You wouldn't be in proximity. And your job is no different. There's, there's certain character qualities. There's certain attitudes that you're going to show the humility, a cheerful attitude, for example. Aren't you drawn more to a person that's cheerful than a downer? A person that's always criticizing and negative? Don't you just kind of find yourself kind of distancing yourself? And yet some of us are that way at work, or we know somebody like that, right? We know somebody at work like that. And you just kind of separate yourself. Empathy, a person who really does genuinely care when somebody shares a need rather than just to brush you off or push you aside. That's something that's attractive you know that when you share with them, they're going to listen to you. And it's a great virtue. It's a great quality. So I, I see some of these, these kind of things emerging even as we, as we look at Joseph. Just the relational skills that he must have employed that made Potiphar respect him and, uh, and, and to be drawn to him. He was a likable guy. And I think built on that, here's a third word. It's the word capacity. Um, Again, Genesis 39, it says, So Joseph found favor in his sight, tended to him, and he made him overseer of his house, and he put him in charge of all that he had. He's gone from a slave, basically, to now he's running the whole show. From the time that he made him overseer, his house, and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in a house and in, in the field. And so when we think about, um, I think about this word capacity, it basically means the amount of ability that you do have. In our life group a couple weeks ago, we were talking about the parable of the talents, and it's where the master uh, is going to go on a trip, and so he entrusts a servant to one talent, he entrusts one to two talents, and he entrusts one to five talents. Remember that story? If you see the little line there, it says, it was according to their ability. He knows, he knows what their capacity is. And there's a couple of verses we've already heard in this series that, that to whom much is given, much is expected, right? But that he is who faithful with the little things that you might be entrusted As you're faithful there, he's going to entrust you with more and more and more. And that seems to be what is happening with Joseph. Now, you're making an assessment. What's your ability? Are you born with a a certain amount? Are you just a one-talent person? Are you a three-talent person and you're stuck there forever and ever and ever? 
You know, it's kind of like we talked last week about talents like skills talents. And it's not so much your natural God-given ability or sent down from heaven. It's more about your desire to work or to stretch or to practice or to develop something. And so I just say consider today your potential for growth. And hopefully you've got something inside of you that's not content to just stay at one level, but that you're going to keep stretching, putting yourself in proximity where you can grow and you can develop in some of these areas. Do you find yourself uh, you know, listening to teachers who can teach or instruct you in area? Do you find your, man, it's so prolific today with technology. It's right there at your fingertips. Didn't used to be that way. You had to kind of go out of your way. Do you find yourself reading uh, books that will uh, increase your uh, level of understanding in, the, in whatever you're called to do? Are you, are you moving forward in that way? And, and to develop that. The other word is to, to just keep learning. Just to keep learning from someone or from somewhere. I, you know, as I, as I think about this, and I'm looking back on my journey, I didn't have a whole lot to work from as far as my model from family or, or just any, I was a first-generation Christian, uh, came to the Lord at 17 years old, was a mess before that. And there wasn't a whole lot to go on to draw from there. When I got to college, I was a blank sheet, man. I was just starting from scratch. It was about two years into my college experience that I felt um, kind of a, a nudge toward ministry. And so I changed the direction in my uh, junior year and started studying and preparing for the ministry. But boy, I tell you what, I don't know where it came from, but I found myself just, just always looking and watching for somebody who was doing something that I perceived that God may be calling me to do, and I kind of set my sights on that. And I would l- learn everything I could. Again, we didn't have the, the kind of technology back in the 80s you know, that we have right at our fingertips, so you had to go out of your way to do this. I could have easily just pay- stayed stuck where I was at, but there was something inside me I just wanted to keep moving. For example, when I got to Bellingham, and this is my first pastorate, I was probably 27, 28 years old, had a two-year-old daughter, had a small church with, with some wonderful folks, mostly older folks, and, but boy, we had our sights on what God wanted to do, and I thought, who could I learn from? And there was a church going here in the Seattle area that was just running on all cylinders. It was Overlake Christian Church. And, and I watched, and we heard about this, and so... One day, I called the church and asked for the pastor, Bob Moorhead, got his assistant. I said, is, would I, could I get an appointment to sit down with Bob? And she says, he doesn't take appointments. And I said, oh, okay, and I paused, and she says, but he does go out for lunch. And I said, well, could I get a lunch date with him? He said, yep, we'll do that. And I remember specifically going to this Mexican restaurant over in Kirkland, I think, and sitting down. He knew exactly why I was there. And he began to pour into me over the, about the hour that we spent. And it really started a, a relationship. And I, I, I can still remember what we talked about. And it, it set a whole trajectory on some things and decisions that I would make. And for multiple times, our life would kind of intersect at key points. And I don't know where that comes from. You know, if I read a good book, you know, I'll, I'll get in touch with the author, uh, you know, and and invite them, you know, to Skype in a call or something. Yeah, they're just, you just take some steps, take some initiative, and allow your capacity to grow. You guys remember a number of years ago, Bruce Wilkinson wrote a little book called The Prayer of Jabez. Any of you remember that? Phenomenal little book. 
And it's, it's one of the most obscure passages in all the scripture, Chronicles. <laughs> you want to you wanna have a nice, sleepy uh, experience at night before you go, go to bed? You read Chronicles. It's one name after the other, but there's this one little three, four verse deal where Jabez was more faithful because he asked God, Lord, expand my territory. And he says, God, God did that. And that's a simple prayer, but I think it's, it's in the spirit of what we're talking about. You know, just trust God, you know, if he wants to do even greater things. Joseph's that kind of guy. And I think he just kept stepping up because his capacity was growing, okay? Here's the fourth one, reliability, okay, reliability. And I think Christians should be at the front of the line here, don't you think? We should be exemplary in this area in particular. Listen to how uh, Genesis uh, 39.6, he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Think about that. He didn't have to worry about anything because he had Joseph over here. Why, why was he able to do that? One word, trust. He trusted him. Can I ask you today, are you trustworthy? Have you done anything to contribute in your workplace, in your environment, that you would be summed up that way, that those who look at you and those who maybe depend upon you, that you are reliable. It, is, it can be the simplest things. It can be showing up to work on time. It can be getting the job done that you've been asked to do without excuses or without complaints. You're reliable. And, and, and you develop a pattern over time, and apparently he developed such a pattern that Potiphar could entrust everything to him with no concern except what he's going to have for dinner that night. You think about that. And so you're talking about earning the trust of others and the call, you know, to, to do just that. And I, I would add one more thing, keeping my promises. If I say that I'm going to do something, the only way I'm going to develop trust is if I carry it out in the way that I said that I was going to do it. There's times when stuff comes up, absolutely. And if you explain that ahead of time and you're reasonable, I don't think anybody's going to begrudge that. But if you consistently fail to do what you've been asked to do, it makes a difference. I, I've been sharing about a time a number of years ago, uh, the season when I was in Florida for those 10 years, I had an antagonist in our church probably from the moment that I got there. And I'm telling you, he made my life miserable. He'd write letters and he'd do stuff and it was just always kind of this guerrilla war. I was constantly, he was my thorn in the flesh, really. And I think God used him to keep me humble, you know, but he, it was relentless. And we had some, some real confrontational moments along the way and I'll never forget one of them because in one of those, he made this accusation where he said that I, I wasn't trustworthy. And that stung and I, I tried to calm myself down, and, I, and I, I said, what, give me an example. What are you talking about? Well, he had been kind of in charge of our missions, and we had a partner down in Hialeah, which is a outskirts of Miami. They were a Cuban couple that we literally partnered to, to plant a church in that area. We loved this couple. We were supporting them. I'd see them at conferences, and I would say something like, Christy Jesus, I'd say, man, we need to get together. Annette and I want to come down. We want to take you for dinner. We're going to do this. I want to get together, you know, and we'd say that. I'd say that, kind of just in a passing, right? Hey, let's get together for dinner sometime, right? Well, they took that, and they, they 
hung on that, and because he was a liaison to them, they'd tell him, you know, Pastor Ken hasn't been down here. So now he comes back around, and he, he nails a, the, the spear that says, you're, untrust, you're not trustworthy. And I said, well, what's this? He said, have you been to see Christian Jesus? You've promised plenty of times, but you, you haven't done that. I never forgot that. And I haven't been perfect, but I'm a lot more careful about the things that come out of my mouth because, friends, trust is going to be, is going to be built upon that. Your credibility is going to be on uh, your willingness to carry out what you say that you're going to do. It makes a difference. Your words make a difference. And uh, it may be a caution that, that we just need to pay attention to. I know I did. And it made a huge adjustment uh, just in, in the way that I conducted myself. And so, so Joseph, we can see, obviously had the trust of his, his master, and now it's going to be tested, okay? And when we use this next word, it really matters. When you're tested, your loyalty. Is he loyal? Uh, and in this case, it's being faithful to my boss, Okay. You may not have a boss. You may not have somebody that is directly over you that you're, you know, you're reporting to or uh, in submission to or whatever. Let me just say this out loud, that scripturally, if there is somebody with authority that's over you, they are placed there by God. They may be the boss from you know where, all right? But they have been placed there by God. And like we started on our first series, maybe God is using this to cultivate character in you. We sang about that in one of our songs, or no, no, the verse that... Uh, Brittany was leading us through about building our character and enduring through those times. You may be in one of those situations. But there comes a point where that loyalty is going to be tested. I'll tell you this. You talk about your boss behind his back, you disparage him, especially in the eyes of somebody else, you can be sure your boss will hear about it. Okay? They will know what you're saying. It will get there. You want to make sure something gets shared at your workplace? You tell somebody, this is confidential. <laughs> Don't share this with anybody else. I'm just sharing this with you. And if somebody will gossip with you about somebody, you can be sure they will gossip about you. All right? That's the way it works. And, and as Joseph was tested, you watch what happened behind the scenes it says, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eye on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused, and he said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he's put everything that he has in my charge. In other words, I, why would I do this, man? He's been good to me. And things are going great. Why would I throw this all away? And guys, I'm going to just share emphatically. You know, every one of us will be tested. Every one of us will be tempted at times. And, and, you know, you know the circumstances. You know the scenarios. And unfortunately, time after time, we see people falling. And what it does particular damage is when it's, when it's in the, the, the Christian setting, when it's a believer, and, then, and they fail to put boundaries, and they fail to step into those boundaries. It does so much damage to the reputation and the testimony of the church. And you'll be in that moment where you'll make a, a, a defining decision of whether I will or whether I won't. And the one thing I cannot help but, but just be admirable of this young man in all the stuff that he had to deal with, when he was tested, he was true to his boss. 
He was loyal, and he would not, he would not cross that line. And, you know, you can apply that to wherever ever it, it, it is, but I'll tell you what, what a great example that we have to follow as we see that unfold here. And so that builds on then the final word, and that's integrity. He was a man of integrity. The word integrity is based on the word integer, which means to be one or to be whole or unified. And so what it's saying is, is that you're the same on the outside as you are on the inside and vice versa. Same on the inside as you are on the outside. You're not a hypocrite. You're not putting on a mask, trying to project one thing out here, but being somebody different on the inside. You're one and the same. Another way of putting it is you practice in secret what is said in public. You might, might put on a great image here, but behind the scenes you're going to live out what it is that you're saying or projecting out here. And Joseph, once again in this setting, says as she spoke to Joseph, day after day he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. And you can only imagine what he must have thought by being obedient and by being true to God and being a righteous man and then to get thrown in prison with a false claim of raping uh, Potiphar's wife. What must he have thought in, in those, those dungeon prisons? Um, believe me, friends, it was absolutely uh, unbearable condition. And day after day to know that you were falsely accused of something, you were true, but now you were falsely accused. If you wanted to throw the towel in, wouldn't you say that had been a pretty good time to do it? And yet he was faithful, and he stayed true. God saw the whole thing. And before this story was undone, he orchestrated the circumstances to where this gift that he had given him now begins to unfold. He correctly interprets a dream, and a person hears about it, and years later, you know, comes back and says, I know a guy, Pharaoh, I know a guy that can, that can tell you what this means. And sure enough, he gets all cleaned up. He goes before Pharaoh, and... And the whole thing now takes him from that condition, that position, to not only saving Egypt from, from famine, but saving the life of his people and the people of God, the whole lineage. They would be saved because of the faithfulness that Joseph observed. That's what we're dreaming for every one of us. Friends, let your light so shine in the jobs that you're at that God will be glorified. What does it look like? I love uh, Philippians. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, he said, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Amen? We're living in it today among you, or excuse me, among whom you shine as lights in the world. That's our prayer for each one of us. Shine as, as a follower of Christ. Shine as a, a, a people of God. Shine as a member of North Shore Christian Church, your testimony, our testimony together, collectively. And uh, I just challenge you this week, ask, ask the Lord, what, what traits here that we've just talked about today of, of Joseph? Lord, what do I need to measure myself up? Where, where do I need your help? And that's finally what I want to, I want to ask you. Today, have you, have you truly trusted Christ to be that one who enables you to live out those kinds of characteristics and traits. This is not something you're going to be able to do just because you get willpower to do this or, or just say, ah, I need to do that. 
This is only a result of Christ living in you and living his life through you. Have you ever trusted him for your salvation? Do you know that to be true? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross? That he lived a sinless life? That he gave his life up for us? And that he rose from the dead? And he lives today? Do you believe that? Have you told him that? Have you professed that? Have you followed him in his prescribed way of baptism to outwardly declare that and taken that step? This is, this is what the scripture says is, is the steps that we take to knowing him and allowing his spirit now to dwell inside of us. And it's that spirit that gives us the power to do just what we're talking about, right? This isn't just a good pep talk about attitude and about uh, character adjustment. Friends, this is spiritual work here. And only the Spirit of God can do that. So I, I hope before you even leave today, you'll consider that. I can lead you through a prayer along those lines. If you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, uh, what a great time to do that. Amen? Let's stand together. We'll, we'll uh, close with a prayer, and I'm going to invite our worship team. They're going to lead us out with a song. But uh, before we do, could we bow our heads? Father, thank you for today and your word. Uh, it's powerful. It's living. There's something about it that just resonates with our hearts. And I know as we measure ourselves against it, there's got to be things there, Lord, that are exposing, bringing light to areas that, that maybe we needed to hear. God, for some of us, there's some things we need to confess and ask for forgiveness uh, for some attitudes maybe that we've displayed. Maybe we've drifted into that critical negative attitude in our workplace and other people see that and they hear it and it's repelling and we don't want that to be the case. God, would you help us to change? There's some of us, Lord, that have slipped into saying things with our words out of our mouth that are disparaging. And we're bringing down uh, people in other people's eyes, which is something, Lord, I know you take very seriously. And we ask for forgiveness. Help us to be more uplifting. Help us, help us Lord, to think, think only those things that are going to be uh, of a positive nature and to, and to declare those things so that we can be those lights that was just described, bringing you glory. Lord, in this room today, uh, I, I wouldn't doubt that there's some who you've drawn to this place on this weekend, this Sunday, and that you brought them here for a purpose, to speak to their heart about their relationship with you or the lack of it. <laughs> and I hope, Lord, today they feel your love in, in such a powerful and profound way that you're calling them into that relationship. And if that, if that somehow is where you're at and you're saying, well, what step do I take? Jesus himself said, he said, I'm standing at a door. It's like I'm at a door knocking on the door of your heart. And I'm just waiting for you to open that door and invite me to come in. And maybe today's the day you want to do that. How would you do it? Maybe a prayer like this. And just as our heads are bowed and just say, Lord Jesus, today I come and, and I just want to, to invite you into my life. I, I am sorry for my sin. And I'm asking you to forgive me of that. And Lord, would you give me the power to begin to live my life in a way that pleases you? God, help me with all the areas that I struggle with. I want to turn my life over to you and trust you for even my salvation. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe in you today. And this I pray in your name. And I pray, Lord, for those that may have prayed that prayer, that this something... This is going to be a, a, a quite a moment that they're going to begin to see you at work in some powerful ways in the days and the weeks ahead. 
We commit ourselves to this. There's one thing we know for sure, Lord, is we cannot do this all by ourselves. We are utterly and completely dependent upon you. We need you, Lord, more than we've ever needed you. And especially to live, um, live out the, the, uh, the, the word that we've heard today. So we commit ourselves to this and pray blessing over each one. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Blessings to you, man.